A supply chain is like a human patient. It needs a health check from time to time. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Supply chains can get sick just like people, but the consequences can be far greater than one individual catching the flu. So it's a good idea to carry out regular assessments of just how healthy your supply chain is. In large part, that amounts to an assessment of your suppliers. Are they stable? Are they trustworthy? Are they providing the right materials at the right price, even as they protect your brand from reputational disaster? Today, I'm speaking with Brian Alster, Global Head of Supply and Compliance with Dunn & Bradstreet. He returns to the podcast to discuss the notion of a supply chain health check, what it entails, how often it should be carried out, and how deep it should go. There are so many risks out there today in the form of political instability, economic uncertainty, changing regulations, and other issues related to globalization. So how can you stay healthy in today's global business climate? Here's my conversation with Brian Alster. Brian Alster, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. I'm glad to be back. Brian, when we speak of the need for a so-called health check of one's supply chain, what kind of things are we protecting against? What are we worried about? I think that there's a, a lot of good reasons why we have the need for a health check. I'd say the first and foremost is probably the geopolitical factors. Geopolitical factors can wreak havoc on any given system. It could be manufacturing, it could be service-related industries, it could be goods and services. They have a way of really creating problems for companies, especially those that are global in nature. Second, I would say globalization in general. There has been a tremendous amount of cross-border trade for both goods and services as well as raw products that go into goods and services. And that creates a completely different level of complexity for companies that they have to deal with. I'd say another challenge is just the ongoing need. It's been the age-old adage for procurement officers around the world is they must focus on reducing costs. The last one would be the newer ones, which is they now are now being tasked with protecting the brand and making sure not only protecting it from bad challenges, but also making sure that they find a way to have a positive impact on the brand. And that will constantly require officers to take a health check approach to their onboarding processes to ensure that they're doing a good job of identifying the right businesses that they need to be doing business with. So would it be fair and accurate to say that the world with regard to supply chains is becoming riskier and less predictable than in the past? Oh, yes. And I would add more complex than ever before. All right. So let's start by asking how you can kind of poke and prod at your supply chain and test for potential weaknesses. What kind of a review process do you get underway in order to understand that? I think the first thing I would do is I would make sure I assess my overall end-to-end process. So first and foremost, what is my onboarding process like? 
vendor onboarding you were... Absolutely. Do I have an efficient onboarding process? Does it look at vendors early enough in the process? Am I utilizing this process to diversify my supply chain? Am I using it to reduce costs? Is the onboarding system doing its job? And one might ask, well, how do I know if I have a strong enough onboarding process? I would say there's probably two or three things that you must have. One, you must have a flexible portal up front in order to be able to change your questions that you're asking during the onboarding process of your suppliers as new things arise. So for example, uh, let's just look at one of the ones that are, are popular today, GDPR. Companies now must be compliant in GDPR, and there are various ways to determine the level of readiness for this type of protection act. I think that the use of a really flexible portal will enable companies to be able to ask new questions around their data protection and their privacy capabilities and things of that nature. So a flexible portal is first and foremost. The second would be a really robust screening tool. And that screening tool has to be able to screen not just some lists, but there are thousands of lists out there from PEPs and sanctions that we really need to make sure that companies are constantly making sure that they have the most up-to-date lists that they're checking against. Additionally, we need to make sure we're handling the newest challenges from a geopolitical perspective. So in screening, the way you're screening companies for um, Iran is different this year than you would have been in years past because of the newest sanctions. Got to be up to date constantly. Absolutely, constantly. And then third, you really need to understand who you're doing business with. And this isn't just knowing where the company is located. This is understanding who the principal owners are. So being able to pull beneficial ownership data, I think, is becoming increasingly more important for companies to do during the screening process. So being able to identify exactly who is benefiting from this given transaction is very, very important in the global environment we're working in now. Boy, you've just described what is potentially a huge can of worms in a multi-tier supply chain, certainly trying to get to the bottom of how deep a supply chain goes and who owns everything and where something comes from originally. That's got to be a huge challenge. Absolutely. I would say that if I can add some color to that, I think that with beneficial owners, as you were saying, the challenge is getting more and more complex because ownership structures are getting more and more complex. As you have globalization across the world, you're having individuals and business entities in multiple countries having ownership structures. So really being able to dig into who those owners are and then being able to properly screen them to ensure that you're not putting your company at risk by doing business with these entities, not necessarily because of the business itself, but because of the individuals who are benefiting from these transactions or the owners. And that's really a unique challenge that more and more of our clients are facing. Just to clarify that acronym, GDPR, uh, General Data Protection Regulation, since we know what we're talking about there, it's coming out of Europe and promises to have a huge impact on protecting uh, consumer privacy on the Internet and the like. You know that physical security and response systems often test their weaknesses and strengths through the use of simulations of one kind or another. A supply chain obviously is something much bigger than a building security system or something of that kind. But is it possible? Are there kinds of types of simulation exercises that you can undergo, whether in virtual mode or in real mode, to test how your supply chain would react in the face of certain risks that might occur? That's an interesting question. I think there are a couple of things that you can do, and there are tools right now to employ data and analytics 
that'll enable you to understand and, and really vet out who you're doing business with. So I think one of the key challenges is really to tackle this in two phases. One, procurement organizations need to ensure that they're constantly staying on top of the situation. So it's not necessarily some litmus test that you're going to run or some sanity check that you're going to run to say, oh, all of a sudden I realize I'm not in compliance here. I need to be asking better questions there. It's making sure you have a finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world around you. So in the examples that we discussed earlier, when we talk about new sanctions or governments that have imposed new sanctions on other countries, you have to make sure that your process adapts to those ever-changing regulatory environment. So that's one impetus for change. The other is ensuring that you have a really strong data-inspired approach that you can utilize analytics to determine where you should be spending more time. For example, if you have a risk engine that drives some risk assessments, a decision engine, you can utilize the segmentation screening to determine whether or not you are properly identifying the right number of businesses that you should be flagging for high risk. If you're finding that no businesses are high risk, perhaps you should be taking a look and understanding whether or not you have the right level or threshold to determine what high risk is. If you can use data and analytics to at least identify the issue, then you could start tackling that challenge by engaging other third parties, by looking within your own organization at how you identify risk, and it at least creates that tool to tell you, oh, I probably need to look at the way I'm calculating or segmenting risk. So I would say it's a two-pronged approach. One, keeping your finger on the pulse of what the external environment is around you, and two, utilizing data analytics and visualization aids that come as outputs from your onboarding process, your procurement process, to help you determine where you need to continue to fine-tune it. Again, on the issue of simulations, I know it's it's easy, or not easy, obviously, but it's definitely, you can get your arms around the idea of like trying to protect against, say, a particular natural disaster in a particular part of the world. And a computer can run simulations and tell you what might happen to your supplier base as a result of that. The larger supply chain obviously is so complex that I guess you couldn't take every possible thing into account when you're trying to determine the strength or weakness of your supply chain. But using these analytical tools that you just described to me, can you run various types of simulations or should you? Is it of use to do that in response to potential geopolitical upheavals of the, of the sort? Might a simulation environment be of benefit? Yes, I think it is. I don't necessarily think it has to be an automated solution where you have to build simulation into the process. However, I do think it is healthy to suggest, and, and a lot of the conversations I had with customers last fall around natural disasters was around testing your supply chain to ensure that you are indeed diversifying appropriately, indeed doing a good job effectively of asking the right questions during the onboarding process to continue to monitor the manner in which you're conducting business. So, for example, if you can isolate to if there was a natural disaster in the southeast of the United States, what would the impact be on my supply chain? Conversely, if an earthquake struck the West Coast or a tsunami struck the coast of Japan, you can do these simulations. And a really strong way of doing this is very simple. It goes back to, again, what I was saying earlier by utilizing your visualization tools. If you see that through visualization, we have seen suggestions or examples where you can put your entire fire base on a heat map of the entire world. And if you see isolated pockets where you are over-indexed, 
you probably want to call that out as a challenge. And you didn't necessarily run a simulation for that, but you utilize visualization tools and your data and analytics to better understand where there is risk in your supply chain. So you fully understand by looking at that heat map, for instance, where is your sole sourcing locations? Where are you relying Absolutely. on a single supplier that might be of trouble? And maybe you should act on that. I guess you know some companies have no choice but to rely on a single source for a particular type of component. But I'm guessing that a best practice, if at all possible, is to avoid that, is to embrace some level of supplier diversity. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that, Bob. I think it's absolutely imperative that, especially in the environment we're in right now, from a globalization perspective and geopolitical perspective, that you have to make sure that you're diversifying your supply chain, whether it's a geopolitical event, whether it's a natural disaster, whether there's any kind of shortage or emergency, you have the ability to pivot without negatively impacting your product growth. I'm interested also in hearing more about where the inputs come from, because the data that is relevant to a supply chain is so broad in nature and potentially comes from so many different places. How do you tap into every potential type of source, whether it's structured data, unstructured data, whether you're reading news off the internet or getting it directly from suppliers or risk assessment organizations? How do you get your arms around the huge universe of information that you need to put into your inputs in order to make an intelligent decision about your own supply chain? That's a really good question, Bob. And I think that you can start on understanding that there's a range, there's a spectrum. And I think that companies need to understand where their supply chain is on the complexity spectrum to understand what level or what depth of checks that they need to do to ensure that they're properly having a health check and doing the right balance. You don't want to go into quote-unquote analysis paralysis by trying to go into structured and unstructured data and all of the different assets that you have at your fingertips to determine whether or not your system is and your process is healthy. What you can do is lean on a few key attributes that I think would do a majority of the work to determine whether or not you're doing a good job. The first and foremost, I would determine first looking at your end-to-end -end process. How complex is your end-to-end -end process? How fast are you onboarding? If your onboarding is taking very long and only you as a customer can determine what's too long and it's really how long it impacts your revenue and, and your go-to-market strategy. But if you believe that process is too long, then you need to understand whether or not you're doing an effective job of utilizing automation and third-party data to properly move through the process. So that's going to automatically also reduce costs. If you are a larger multinational, I think you can really start to utilize your data and analytics as outputs of the system. So you can pretty much nowadays, almost all pieces of information that are captured during the onboarding process can be put into analytics. So you can look at your risk segments, you can look at financial risk, credit risk, payment risk, and understand whether or not you are getting the most out of your onboarding process. So I think that you really want to focus on making sure that when you decide to do a health check, that you start by keeping it simple. Focus on the areas that you can drive the greatest success from. And I'm going to come back to two important pieces of information. One, remember what the primary goal of onboarding is. It's to ensure that you're doing business with the right types of companies that are going to maximize your profit and that you're doing it in a manner that isn't prohibitive to your go-to-market strategy. And that is a very unique balance because what we're seeing more and more of is that procurement officers are being asked to 
do more, but to do it in a faster timeline. Those two challenges are really at odds with each other. And that conflict creates the need to really focus on how they can automate a good portion of their process without giving up the ability to do those secondary quality checks to ensure that they have this human element to it. And when you do health checks, you have to make sure that you're keeping that balance of automation with the right detailed analysis that human intervention really creates. How do you balance passive versus proactive? And by that, I mean on the passive side, you'd have a system set up of alerts, probably exception reporting that you don't need to keep looking. You just need to know when something's going wrong, and then you react to that. On the other hand, you have proactive, and that is the metaphor of the health check, suggests that you actually are making a proactive look at your supply chain, ticking things off of a list. How often do you do that, and how often do you take that proactive approach as opposed to simply having like a good system in place that will tell you when something's going wrong? The first approach to alerts, this is critical, and I'm really glad you brought this point up because there are two unique challenges that I've seen with clients that they face. The first is they turn on alerts, like imagine alerts are a volume dial, and you turn that dial way up. They're Mm -hmm. taking in more information on patterns of change than they can adapt to and that they can react to. What that means is they end up taking and a lot falls on the cutting room floor, and that creates inefficiencies in the process. So you have to make sure that you're dialing those alerts properly. So the first thing I would say to that is, if a company is finding that they have too many alerts, they probably want to look at the types of alerts they're pulling and whether or not they're really actioning those alerts. So the greatest way to do that is to look at your action rates. How many times are you actually taking action or making a change in your supply chain or a behavior in your supply chain as a result of an alert? If you're not, then those alerts aren't driving value. So that's the automated portion of it. The other side of it, those manual or reactive or the secondary reviews, I would suggest that you're doing them anytime you see either a significant shift in a macroeconomic event or the environment around you. And then I would suggest doing it at least annually from a cluster analysis perspective. So are you overweighted in a certain geographic area? Have you done sensitivities to specific natural events or natural disasters? And I would suggest doing that annually and making sure that as you're onboarding new suppliers, you're doing that check periodically to ensure that your index hasn't changed. Kind of the equivalent of wellness when it comes to the human body and health, right? <laughs> Is that you're ensuring Absolutely. you're acting before the disease hits you in hopes that you can perhaps mitigate Absolutely. it or even, or even uh, make it not happen. Some people go to the doctor after the, the symptoms are created, and that's a very reactive way. You probably want to be going to the doctor periodically in a healthy way to ensure that you are proactively finding these issues before they arise. And therefore, you're not becoming symptomatic. You're being more proactive. So much more we could talk about, especially with regard to supplier relations. But this is some fantastic advice for purposes of this episode. Brian Alster, I want to thank you so much for being with us once again to really help clarify this whole issue of what is a health check to one supply chain and how can companies implement it. Thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you so much, Bob. I truly appreciate it.
that was my conversation with Brian Alster of Dun and Bradstreet, talking about the need for regular health checks for your supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.